Hey there. We're doing a special set of six Encore episodes over the next two weeks as Dylan gallivants across Finland and Amsterdam and Zach goes through some laptop struggles. We're bringing back some old guest episodes with some of our favorite people. Enjoy this Encore episode with Bruce Thompson. Creativity for the society. The Process Podcast. It's the Process Podcast, episode 100. Triple digits. Triple digits. And today we are joined by the notorious, the infamous Bruce Thompson. Infamous. 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 I don't know. I don't know if you his, if you listen to what students say, but you are you are an infamous professor, Bruce. Yes, yes, and I suppose it's better to be infamous than famous. Yeah, yes. probably. <laughs> you don't have anyone anyone making allegations against yeah, you. How, how, are, how certainly in my position, anyway. Anyway, sorry, yes. go on. <laughs> how 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 are you doing today, Bruce? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm getting prepped for uh, the coming semester. Um, How's that going? It's taking a lot of time. It's uh, it's a different process. I'm sure the students are feeling much the same way as I am, that things are very different and not yeah. ideal. But uh, it is kind of amazing that we're able to continue this semester. I mean, if this pandemic had hit, what, eight years ago, there's no way. No. There is no way we could have yeah. done that. And the tools we have now, although it's not ideal, it's uh, it's pretty impressive that we're we're still able able to keep teaching and uh, I mean even even the visual stuff we're doing with Viscom and uh, some of my transportation classes we've got these Miro boards and we're able to share work it's it's actually it's worked surprisingly well especially considering the fact that I'm the one running it which is a disaster because <laughs> i'm okay i can work my mac and i can do photoshop but i'm not the best person at uh at the it stuff so the fact that i can uh make this stuff work kind of is a it's props oh, to the people who designed it absolutely <laughs> yeah. i mean we've had almost we've had no technical difficulties so far fingers crossed with today's episode it has worked seamlessly Whereas when we had Resan, we went through probably an hour of technical difficulties beforehand, trying oh, wow. to get things to work. It was oh, it was brutal. So <laughs> yeah. you seem you you were able to use the links properly. Everything worked out fine. So we're completely completely not concerned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but in, in in relation to online online learning and online school, Zach and I were lucky. We got out of it right at the very end of it. We only had to do basically like a month and a half yeah. of school online. Is there any impact that you can see as a professor or could there be an impact in students coming forward in like the next four years and how they're learning now is there going to be a difference per se in their potential skill set um i would think not um depends on how how long the pandemic lasts i mean we're all hopeful that it's going to be over by uh the summer let's hope you know touch wood Mm -hmm. um but if it's not, and there's a possibility, I mean, if if we're not back in September, I'll be very disappointed. And I think that at that point, I would start being concerned because there's no question that students are missing out on some things. Um, we're doing the best that we possibly can, obviously, to ensure that they're getting what they need. But 
I mean, part of the thing about being at college or university, <clears throat> excuse me, at college or university is that you should, it, it's about getting out and becoming yeah. your own person for the first time in your life, probably for, for many, you're living on your own, you're living at school or close to school. You're in an entirely new group of people. And there's a lot to be said about about that process, about going away from your home and discovering new things. I think it's uh, certainly, I remember that um, many, many moons ago when I went uh, to college, it was, it was a real eye-opener. And it, it really, it kicked off a whole bunch of different things for me. Um, and my phone is ringing. I'm sorry, it's my wife. I have to take this. That's okay. Take the call. We'll cut it out. Okay. Sorry, just a sec. Oh, I hate this phone. I can't even answer it. <laughs> I, I'm getting a new phone. This this phone is rubbish. What, what are you rocking it? now? It's a Samsung. It's an Android, oh. and I'm not used to them. Oh, absolute garbage. And it's <laughs> it's garbage anyway. Anyway, so uh, let me let me start that thought over again. Sure. Um, yeah, I I think that students are missing something by not being at college or university. Half the half the point about going to college or university is going out and being on your own and interacting with people your own age, making making <laughs> new friends. Right. Uh, but also, I think working together. Um, certainly you guys will remember doing thesis and I, mm -hmm. I feel really badly for the people graduating this year, because of course they're going to have to do <clears throat> thesis entirely on their own. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult for them to support each other. And that's, that's part of the benefit about, uh, of being at school. Um, but there's all sorts of other ones. It's as, as I said, it's the first time you're out on your own. You're going to discover a lot about yourself, about your, um, ability to, um, to take opportunities and to meet deadlines and to be responsible and to be irresponsible at times. It's, it's, it's a journey of self-discovery. And I think that I, I feel really bad for, for the people who, especially are graduating this year because it's going to, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Now I think the people in first and second year, um, it's not going to affect them as much. I don't think as long as we can get back to school in September of this year, I think the only problem would be is if this went on for a long time, because I do think that that being present is an important part of the experience of going to school. My, my wife is working at this financial company and they're happy. They're happy as pigs and shit because they're, Hey, we don't have to throw these parties anymore. We're not paying, we're not paying business fares for our people to fly to Singapore or whatever. Everybody expects to do zoom. The company's saving tons of money. And I think that in the, in the working environment, things are going to change. I'm hoping that in the um, educational environment that they're not, that they're going to go back to what they were before because I don't right. think you get as much from a Zoom meeting or a Blackboard Collaborate session. I don't think you get as much as from being there in person. Not at all. I think, I, I think that's like um, 
one of the big things that like Dylan and I always say, you know, one of the best parts about like other programs, you know, that aren't that aren't like industrial design might be a little bit better off on, you know, the whole online thing. You can get away with it a bit more with the whole design thing. One of the biggest parts is the whole collaboration being all together in one room and seeing everyone's work in person and, and, you know, and having the interaction. And that's where I feel, I think we feel lucky because when it started, we were like at the point where we're making our thesis model. So most of that was like, you know, it would be fun to do it you know, in the shop with all the boys or something, but we could do that at home and it was fine. It wasn't such an issue, but starting that. Yeah. If we had to start thesis completely from line, that would have been, you know, it would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. It would not have been, it's just not a conducive environment to promote, especially since design is so largely a collaborative industry, a collaborative field. You, you really thrive off of, bouncing ideas off of people and even just having people around you with a similar work ethic and you you kind of absorb a bit of that energy yeah. from the people that are in the studios around you yeah and i've seen that um i don't know if you guys know i, I started teaching full-time at humber back in 2007 wow. so it's been a while um i was like two <laughs> not not quite but not around quite, there but no it's it's always a shock to me because of course new students come in and it's just this continual new faces every year mm-hmm. and you forget that you're getting older when i started teaching um full-time at humber i was uh i was 40 wow. i'm not anymore <laughs> but, but it's funny because when i was 40 i was twice the age of a lot of the people coming into the program now and mm-hmm. getting close to three times the age and it, it's funny because i don't feel i'm aging i'm sure that the students perceive it who is this old guy <laughs> but um <laughs> however uh i've been there for 14 years now um and what i've noticed what i've seen is that very often being in the right class or being amongst the right people can really kickstart people can really drop kick, drop kick them, really get them going. And I've also seen the opposite that people who um, don't gel into a group, people who uh, can't find a way to interact that they have a much harder time. So no, you're right. The, uh, the ability to interact and to bounce ideas off each other and to, help each other makes this a much easier and I think enjoyable process. So I'm hoping that uh, next year, uh, fall of 2021, that we're going to be able to get back to a new normal, as I say, touch wood. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hopefully my, my fingers are, my fingers are crossed before, before we get too deep into anything in particular. Currently, I want to take a little bit of a backtrack, go back to around 1986, give or take, and you went to you went to Waldorf. You went to Waldorf, uh, Toronto Waldorf School. In the Toronto Waldorf School, but that's going a lot further back than '86. <laughs> do, you, do you mind if I ask what year you graduated? I graduated in 1984. Oh, 1984. Did you know Bob Pickering or Susan McLeod? I know both Susan McLeod and Bob Pickering, and I know Susan McLeod's daughter Kirsty. Oh wow! She was a couple of uh, years younger than me. Oh, not bad. The only reason I ask, the only reason I ask is because my mom 
went to Waldorf. She went there starting 85. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> and I was I was so confident that there was a bit of an overlap, but unfortunately, there's not. But uh, I, uh, so I, but I, but I know the same people. Yeah, <laughs> same same type of classes. She said, "You got to ask him. You have to ask Bruce if he knows Bob Pickering or uh, Doctor Marty Levin teaching um, math." Martin Levin, yes, he yep. taught me. Well, he tried to teach me. <laughs> he, <laughs> he tried to teach me um, math. What was the? Oh, come on. In grade 12, we were studying it. And I can't even remember this type of math. It wasn't geometry. It was... Anyway, it's the one where you're finding volumes. Oh, geez. I have no clue. I, I... It, was, it, was, it was just the hardest thing. <laughs> and, and Dr. Levin was the most brilliant guy. I remember we gave him a Rubik's Cube. And he t- said, can I borrow this? And he took it away for lunch. Had never seen one before. And came back and said here gave it to us and said mess it up for me i'll fix it Whoa! And he gave it back we, we do uh we'll do, he'll never be able to do this we gave it back to him bang he could do it about 30 seconds every time he was <laughs> mathematically brilliant and he had to me as a student the poor guy <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like Mozart in hell with, with right. all these little kids who really can't play the violin. <laughs> oh man! So I take it I take it you weren't into the sciences and the and the the maths or anything in high school. Um, no, I I was uh, I was good at science. Um, I was decent at math. Um, it was just uh, harder work for me than most of the other subjects. Mm-hmm. So. Was was design or because you do a lot of illustration a lot of painting a lot of artistic creativity is that did did that happen in high school is that where you kind of realized that that was something you'd be keen in pursuing as a as a career like graduating high school and going into college yeah it's um it was something that was always on my radar Uh, my father was a high school teacher but he was a a frustrated painter. He was <laughs> he was a hobbyist, and he he loved to paint and he loved to sketch. Um, so when I was five or six years old, I got my first sketchbook, um, and so I've been sketching since I was very young. Um, one of the reasons my parents sent me to Waldorf was because they felt it was a wider education. Uh, certainly, people take art in high school. But I think that at most high schools, art class might be considered um, an empty credit. Yeah. Uh, a makeup class, kind of. Okay, take this. You'll probably be able to pass it. Yeah. Um, get the arts credit. Completely. Get the arts, yeah. <laughs> Whereas uh, I think that at Waldorf, it was taken more seriously. Not that we took any particular classes but it was all for instance we had to do this thing called a main lesson book that your mom will remember she'll remember that and you had to it didn't matter what what you were doing you'd be doing physics one uh in one three-week period and then you'd be doing maths in the next in history and in the one after that but all of the books had to be neatly written out and illustrated wow so so it was a really good experience for me so Growing up, yeah, I figured, oh, I'll be a painter or I'll be a commercial artist or um, I'd never heard of industrial design. Um, And then when I graduated, um, just when your mom was starting Waldorf, I went to Europe. I did my, took a year off, saved up, 
one summer, went to Europe in 85, and it was such an eye-opener. And I still didn't really, I'd never heard of industrial design, but you couldn't miss it. Things were so different. And little things, the telephones in the phone boxes were different. The buses were different. The everything, the packaging. And it was just such an eye-opener to me. And for me, this was the beginning of a realization that I might want to do something more than just painting. Um, And then when I got back uh, to Canada, I worked another year to save up for college. And I was going to go to the OCA and take um, what was called C and D. I don't know it's commercial design, or but it was basically illustration. And I'd gone to an open house, and I just happened to walk into this place where they were uh, doing industrial design. And I walked into the industrial design department, and I thought, "This is what I want to do." <laughs> this is so cool. And some guy had built <clears throat> a clay model of a scooter. I wish I could see this because when I was 20, I guess 19 or 20, when I saw it, I thought this is the best thing ever. It's probably like a kind of mediocre second year project. But at the time I thought, Oh, I so badly want to get into this program because it was kind of a synthesis of the things that I'd seen and done, uh, having been at Waldorf developed my sketching, but I, I also had done, they're, they're big into, uh, woodwork and even the guys, at least this used to be the case. The guys used to have to take what was called handwork, which was, you know, knitting and darning wow. socks. And we had to just sew shirts and everything. We, we had to learn wow. all that stuff. So I'd always liked working with my hands, going to Europe and seeing all this new stuff and, and really. Of course, Europe's always been a little bit ahead of North America in terms of design. But seeing all of that and then getting back to Canada and seeing that you could actually get a job doing this, mm-hmm. right. I thought, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool that you just randomly stumbled across it because it's mm-hmm. kind of the same. Everyone we talk to pretty much, whether it's the people we graduated with, had same thing. They had no idea what it was, and then randomly kind of came across it. When we talked to Catherine, it was the same thing. She was going to do architecture, which is what me and Dylan were going to do. And then she walked past a wall of ID work and was like, "Whoa, this is now. Never mind. This is what I want to do." Right? And I'm going to tell you a bit of a story, which people are listening and be like, "Oh, I've heard this, heard me tell this over and over again." <laughs> Zach's story again. But because the way I found out, but the day I applied for Humber Industrial Design was the day I found out what industrial design was. That's how quick it was. Like, I had no idea what it was. You know, I knew, obviously I knew about art. I knew about kind of the bigger areas like graphic design, architecture, fashion design, whatnot. But industrial design, no idea, no clue, right? And I was at the Toronto International Auto Show with my dad. And this was like a week or two before whenever we'd be applying at high school for university and college. And the and Humber had a booth there, which we were talking when we were talking to Sebastian about it. He this is how he found out about the program as well, and he said he was talking to you there. And um, obviously, I didn't know you at the time, so I'm, I'm assuming you were there. And I saw some other students. And they had clay models, and they were doing sketching. And there was a wall of sketches and renders. And I remember walking past me like I had no idea. Like obviously, growing up loving cars, car being a car designer is always one of those dreams. But then when you're like, well. 
there's nothing in Canada where we can, where I can actually do this. The nearest place is the States. Yeah. And coming out of a high school, at least for me, the idea of going to a different country to go to school was kind of a bit far-fetched. And then walking past this and seeing, oh, never mind, this actually exists. And then I came home and I looked up Humber car design and then the industrial design program popped up. And it was, it was like what you said. It was a perfect synthesis of like everything I liked. And you're going through the, you know, the, the courses throughout the years and you're like, oh, model making, I like doing that. Sketching, I like doing that, you know, graphic stuff. And, and then eventually the auto. And I was like, that's how I found out about it was just that booth happened to walk past it that day. You know, That's it's, brilliant. It's, it's cool. Like how everyone kind of had the same experience of just, they were going for usually people we know it was architecture. And then they somehow just stumbled across industrial design and was like, Oh wait, that's actually more kind of interesting. Cause it's encapsulates more of what I enjoy. You know, it's, it's interesting when I was working in, um, Germany, one of my colleagues, uh, he was a guy named Pavel, and he was from Bratislava. And they're so lucky there because um, they start streaming students in, I, I think he was 12 or 13 when he was streamed toward design. Wow. So what they do is they they take a look at this, each student and they say, what are your skills? What are your interests? What are And this guy ended up being streamed towards design. So his high school was, he, he got all the normal high school stuff, languages, math, sciences, all that sort of good stuff. But alongside it, he was doing work towards becoming an industrial designer in high school. Wow. And then, then he went to uh, university for it, and then he got a master's. And I think that master's for this kid, this kid, Sorry for this. Sorry for this guy. That's like a doctorate because he'd been studying design for what ten years, yeah, eleven years. And it's it's brilliant because they're so much more attuned to this sort of thing right. in Europe and I think Asia too. Um, it's a little sad that uh, in uh, in North America everybody's left to find it sort of by happy coincidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember the Hitchcock movie, um, North by Northwest. Have you guys ever seen that? No. The only yeah. Hitchcock movie I can remember is The Birds. You, you have to watch North by Northwest. I think that the, I could be wrong about this, but I think that the actress in it was a woman named Eva Marie Saint. I think, if not somebody similar, but she gets this great line. She and Cary Grant are on this train and they're going from New York to Arizona or something and she's sitting in her elegant dress and Cary Grant's being Cary Grant and Cary Grant says and what do you do and she says I'm an industrial designer and I thought that's the high point <laughs> for industrial design the late wow. 50s that it made it into a movie because the funny thing is, is that you tell people you're an industrial designer and they say oh factories yeah. You design factories, right? All the time. You design pipes or something. It's yeah. industrial. <laughs> that's, nope. that's a what that's exactly what we got. The opposite. It was do you design factories or, or or the funniest one, which is is it like architecture? Yeah. And that you kind of say, Well, sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. If, if you like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Close <laughs> enough. For the sake of the conversation, you just you keep it easy and you just say yes and you move on. Yeah, because yeah. I I was hell bent on doing architecture. I had the yeah. day, the day that I'm going to tell you a story now, Bruce, of the way 
in the personal impact that you had on me getting into this program. I think that the reason that I'm here today is because of a conversation I had with you back in, this is April of 2016, I think. And I came oh. in for the open house because I had came to Humber's open house at the very uh, back in October or whatever it was and just didn't pay attention. I was so hell bent on doing architecture. I didn't even didn't bother to listen or pay attention. So completely glossed over everything. And then I, I applied to Carleton for architecture for the architecture design program, got in, they were going to give me a scholarship and I was so close. I had all the papers signed. I just had to hand them in. I had to like send them back and then I would be in Carleton for architecture. And I said to my dad, I said, I, we need like the Humber open houses this weekend. Let's go. Let's just listen to the thing one last time, at least to say that we did it. Worst case scenario, we lose three hours out of the day and doesn't, it's not a big deal. So we go in and we're listening and everything. And you were there. I think you were there with Patrick and we did the tour and everything. Everything went fine. And at the end of it, I was still on the fence. I, I wasn't sold. And you were on your way out. And I think you were talking to it. You were talking to another prospective student that was there. And I said, I got I need to ask. I told my dad, I said, hold on. I was also late for work at this point. I had a part-time, <laughs> I had a part-time job, a Canadian tire I had to get to. And I was like, I need to, I need to ask this question because if I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be confident in my decision and where I go to school. So I waited for this kid who was talking to you and this kid just kept on talking <laughs> and kept asking questions. I keep looking down at my phone and I'm like, okay, I'm half an hour late, 45 minutes late. I'm an hour late now. And finally he left and I came up to you and I said something along the lines of like, I'm interested in doing architecture, but for some reason, this has also captivated my information and I'm kind of torn. And you said something along the lines of like, I had the same thoughts when I was going to school and when I was approaching college. And the fact of the fact of the matter is that being an architect, you'd write like out of the gate. And for most of your career, you can potentially go your entire career without doing anything insanely creative and insanely noteworthy. Whereas in industrial design, you can get your hands into each part of the process. You can dip your toe into each different facet of what goes into, whether it's a car or a shoe or a cell phone or something even as small as a desk lamp. And then I said, okay, like, thank you very much. And we walked back out to the car in one of the many Humber parking lots. <laughs> and we sat in the car, we drove to McDonald's and I, I didn't say anything this entire car ride until we got to McDonald's, got a coffee. And then my dad said, so what do you think? And I said, I'm going to Humber for industrial design. <laughs> that, that, that conversation sold me on, cause I think, I think it was just a bit of apprehension of job prospects at the end of the day, right. Of just being concerned of if I go to architecture, like I'm just going to end up designing a, a Walmart bathroom for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I don't like to knock architecture. Um, you'll note earlier that I said that I was <clears throat> uh, in high school interested in um, in becoming an illustrator, uh, mm -hmm. painter, what have you. But yeah, architecture was my my first the, the thing that i thought i was going to be, become originally um it was only when i was in grade 12 with dr levin <laughs> telling me how bad i was at math and realizing you know math is kind of important to architecture and <laughs> you know it's it's funny because um if i'm interested in it 
Calculus. That's what he was trying to teach oh, us. Calculus. Yikes. Anyway, if I'm interested in things, I'm good at maths. I can, when I'm building a model, you need maths to do models too. Uh, I've got a very good friend who was just as rubbish at math as I was in grade 12. And he's now a, a pilot for WestJet. And trust me, he maths for that too. <laughs> yeah, so quite absolutely. often you, you find that your interests um, things you think you may not be interested in, you become interested in them when they align with what you're doing and what you're pursuing. Um, but yeah, I thought I was going to go into architecture. Um, part of the reason I didn't, one was the maths, but then the other thing is I was talking to a professor, um, and I believe this was at the OCA, and he said, no, architecture is a brilliant field, um, but it's a very difficult one to make your way in. So quite often what you find is that the most famous of architects are, are in many cases quite wealthy yes, before yeah. they, before they became a famous architect, because it's, it's a very difficult job to work your way up from. And if you start designing the bathrooms for tract houses, it may be a difficult thing to get, to get out of. Um, now I say all of that, I never became an architect, so I'm not really uh, in the best position to say that. But I, I think uh, it's what you said. I think that as an industrial designer, and I probably said this to you when I was doing my presentation back in 2016, I really think that industrial design is the last bastion mm -hmm. of the Renaissance person. Mm -hmm. In most most jobs now have become more and more and more specialized. It's almost impossible for anybody to be a Da Vinci or Michelangelo these days. And the reason for that is, is if you're that good at something, then you're going to be that guy who's studying that one microbe for this one thing, for, like at the very leading edge of something, but you're, you have to be so knowledgeable that you don't have the space for all of these other things, for, for generalism. And one of the things that I like about industrial design is that certainly as an industrial designer, as you said, you can get your, your hands dirty. You can be in every part from the concept, uh, conception of an idea, of conception of a product, right through the model making, the sketching out, the the testing of it, the dealing with people to see whether or not they're interacting with it. Um, you can be in every part of the process right through to the actual um, delivery of it, the actual finish. <clears throat> and it's, it's very few fields that you can do this. And it's, um, I've always said that it's even people who have taken our course, not everybody who takes our course ends up being an industrial designer, but you'd be surprised how well industrial design as a course prepares you for, um, for even other, um, other uh, uh, jobs, other professions. Uh, and part of it is because I think um, anybody who can, can learn to be creative, that creativity can be used anywhere. I don't care if you're talking about business, science, creativity is, is fundamental um, to all advances. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that in, in that way, it's, it is really, 
this is one of the reasons I love industrial design so much is that you're not on a production line screwing that yeah. one bolt onto you're you're actually challenged on a regular basis to be mm-hmm. more creative to do more to find out more um and you end up becoming an expert in all sorts of things if you're designing a playground you become an expert in playground safety mm-hmm. it's yeah. it, whatever you're doing you have to become an an expert at it and i i think that's one of the great things about industrial design is it's not turning over the same page every day you're mm-hmm. doing generally you're going to be doing something new quite regularly and i i've got a short attention span so it suits me <laughs> really well <laughs> That's awesome. So when you when you, you did industrial design at uh, Ontario College of Art, which is now the Ontario College of Art and Design. No, um, it's, it's or, now the Ontario College of Art and Design University. Oh, it's a university. So, so you, right? When I was there, it was OCA. Oh, then it became OCAD. Then it became OCAD-U. So I figure another decade or so, they'll have like, probably seven letters yeah they're they're slowly working their way up they're like we're gonna we're just gonna get longer more acronyms That's more right. and more acronyms and you've got a fair amount of acronyms after your name it's like a whole a whole bunch of letters so you finish industrial design at oca and then what happens there are you one of those people that ends up going right into the industry and working as an industrial designer well, I actually started working as an industrial designer when I was at the OCA. I was lucky enough to get a, a summer job that mm-hmm. ended up going kind of overlapping with my uh, fourth year, designing a um, a, a dental um, – <clears throat> oh, come on. I designed the thing, and I can't think of the name of it. I know what the name the – na- the name of it was the Statum, and I, I was surprised. I went into uh, my dentist last year. They've still got that machine. No way. Yes. It's a, it's cool. a, it's a, um, it's a machine which sterilizes uh, dental implements. Okay. And so it's a Canadian company uh, that was doing it, and they hired me as an industrial designer and it was brilliant it was the best experience um it was challenging especially given that i was doing it um not only in the summer but also through my fourth year but it was a brilliant experience and then when i graduated the first job i got was in advertising (laughs) oh wow it's not exactly not exactly industrial design no it's no it's not but um one of the reasons for that was that Interestingly, at the OCA, uh, the people who were in C&D were learning everything on um, uh, different, I forget which computer it was. It wasn't a Commodore PET, but they were using some other computer system. Mm-hmm. Whereas in industrial design, we had Macs. And of course, Macs are the backbone of the graphic industry. Mm-hmm. So these poor kids graduating out of, graduating out of C&D didn't know Photoshop, didn't know Illustrator. So one of the because I'd gone to industrial design, I was able to get a job immediately. So I took it because um, I had bills to pay. <laughs> and, I, and I ended up working in, um, in advertising for, on a freelance basis for a good five years, six years. And then I started overlapping that with doing freelance industrial design. 
And then finally, uh, in my last position at uh, Bates Canada, it was still advertising, but it was a bit more industrial design because I was working on uh, packaging and packaging development. And uh, it's it was getting to be a little bit more 3D, which mm-hmm. I was enjoying. Um, but uh, in the end, I decided it's, uh, I didn't want to stay there. I'd actually had some good success. Uh, I finished up being um, an art director at Bates Canada, which was good. Um, but I decided that I didn't, that it was good experience. I was happy to have done it, but it wasn't what I had studied for and it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I recognized that. So I thought, fine, I'm going to get into this freelance full time. And that's what I did. Was it a lack of a lack of fulfillment? with the job ultimately it was partly a lack of fulfillment i enjoyed the job i enjoyed the people i enjoyed the um the place i was working but it yeah it was a lack of fulfillment in terms of what i was actually doing Mm -hmm. It, it didn't resonate with me as much as it should and i just recognized that i i don't know i just had this uh aha moment where i i thought you know if i don't make a decision now to change my path, I'm going to be here 35 years from now. I'm going to be retiring as a um, as a an art director. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, no, that's that's really that that wasn't the dream. Yeah. Right. And it's it's easy to accept. Uh, you you see it happen all the time that people get jobs, and the, the easiest thing is to stay in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a big decision to to quit. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bit scary too cuz there's that whole uncertainty thing of you have a job and you have security right now. Yeah. And then all of a sudden for you to say I'm going to give that up and hope that I get something better. That's kind of intimidating, it's kind of terrifying. It is. It is. Uh I was I was lucky. I already had uh clients. I'd kept mm-hmm. doing freelance while I was freelancing as it were. Um and uh because of that that eased my my switch. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, so then I got into uh, industrial design, back into industrial design, and I was working with um, uh, several different studios on a a freelance basis, uh, back and forth, uh, working as they needed me. Mm -hmm. And then I began to think, you know, I always wanted to be what I, why I gravitated towards industrial design was, as I mentioned, that scooter. Yes. Yeah. I always wanted to get into transportation design, but it never struck me that it was something that I would be able to do. Mm-hmm. I'm a Canadian and yeah. my last name's Thompson. Come on. It's not, if, if it's not, a, it's not Italian sounding or German yeah. sounding. If you're, if you're a car designer, you've got a brilliant name like Alessandro Tersini or something. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Thompson just doesn't have that. It it. just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, I, uh, I hit another wall, not really hit a wall. I just had another aha moment and thought, you know, I really do want to get into vehicle design. And I recognized that that was going to be difficult. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Yeah. Given the fact that I lived in Canada. Um, one of the things about Canada is that I think being, again, a generalist uh, in the industrial design field, it helps you um, keep working mm-hmm. because there's enough small 
design firms. There's you, you're not likely here to get hired by Honda, yeah, right. and be looked after for the rest of your life. So you can make a good uh, living freelancing. But I decided uh, I wanted to get my um, uh, get my degree in uh, vehicle design, and I'd just gone through a di- divorce, so that was another good reason to get the hell out of the country. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I thought, no, uh, it was a little late. I was in my 30s. Uh, I've, I felt at that point very old. And to you guys, you must think 30s. Man, he was ancient. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I went back to school and uh, uh, I went to the Royal College of Art in London. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience. Um, living in London was one great experience. And of course, going to the RCA was brilliant. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, when I graduated, I was even more in debt than I had been when I graduated <laughs> from, from the OCA. Um, I'd, uh, I'd managed to go to the RCA by, uh, selling my house. Um, and even that didn't really cover it. It's, uh, it's an expensive program to go to as most of them are. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's very difficult to get into this kind of rarefied industry without that, or it was at that time, I feel. Um, that's becoming less and less true because we've got graduates who haven't done their master's degrees, who have managed to get into um, uh, some serious companies. But regardless, yeah. I, took, I took that course. It was brilliant. And as I had to pay off this massive debt, I had to get a job as quickly as possible. Um, I had an offer to teach at a university in Moscow. Wow. Hmm. I think my new wife would have divorced me because <laughs> she's from Malaysia and she thinks Canada is too cold. I can't imagine what she would have thought of Moscow. <laughs> yeah, Russia's probably not winning you any brownie points in that. Regard. No, but uh, I, I didn't take that job because uh, although the money was good, it was being paid in rubles. And I couldn't um, pay off my British pound debt in rubles. When I was talking to the guy, he said, ah, but you can live in like king in Moscow for this money. And I said, yeah, but I got to pay off a debt in pounds. (laughs) This won't work. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, I was fortunate enough. I I put uh, some applications out to Mercedes-Benz Advanced Design in Tokyo, and that looked promising. But I ended up getting a um, an interview in Cologne, Germany, uh, with Ford Europe, and got hired and uh, and ended up working in in Germany. So, wow. so it, it was um, it was and it was a really enjoyable thing to do because this is what I'd always wanted to do. This is I'd always and I kept on having to pinch myself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at look at me! I'm a car designer. So, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a really amazing, um, experience. Uh, and what, what surprised me, I think most was that when I got into the, uh, into the company, there were about, uh, I, at the time, I think there were probably about 45 designers there in the studio, about six of them were Canadian. Really? Wow. Yeah. And I thought, what the heck? Where did you come from? What are, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> I didn't know Canadians were allowed to be vehicle designers. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was, uh, it was quite funny because, uh, 
Um, it was just so unexpected. Yeah. Right. Was there ever a feeling of imposter syndrome when you were there? Like- oh, always, always. I mean, I, I generally feel like an imposter, you know, that, yeah. I'm a professor. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> who, not. Who let me do this? <laughs> it just doesn't but, make sense. But yeah, absolutely. I, I remember I felt like something like an imposter at the RCA. I remember sitting down and doing my first drawing in the transportation design department at the Royal College of Art. It's the worst drawing I've done in my life. I felt, oh, I'm doing this terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to hide it because there's other people in the room. And I just thought, oh, what a start. This is awful. And I, the same thing happened at Ford. For basically, here's your desk. Go design something. <laughs> really? Honestly like that. Uh, I don't have time to speak to you right now. Do some sketches. And the first sketch I did was a three-year-old could have done better. (laughs) Yikes. Yikes. But you settle into it quickly. You settle into it very quickly. So what's a day in the life of a a designer at Ford Motor Company then? Uh, It was... uh, It was was actually really interesting. I'd get on the uh, U-Bahn and... uh, take the uh, U-Bahn from downtown up through um, north north of Colne. And the north end of Colne is just Ford. It's four U-Bahn stops. Wow. All Ford. There's Ford wow. Sud, Ford Mita, Merkinich, and Ford Nord. Uh, and I used to get off at the Merkinich stop anyway. So I'd get off, toddle into work, go through security, um, when we entered, we had to go through this little tube, like, you know, a, um, uh, when you walk into a dark room, yeah. you guys would, might not know about photographic dark rooms. They don't really exist anymore, but you used to, they'd have a tube. Basically you walk into this vertical tube and when you open the door, it closes the door in front of you and then slides around so that you never get light into the other room. And this was right. like to get into the Ford because they were so concerned about security and their designs getting out and that sort of thing you had to kind of walk into this tube and the door would close behind you and you're in this tiny tube and you had to put your feet on these two (laughs) little feet things on uh, two little uh feet graphics on the ground and you had to wait about three seconds and every time i went in there I was waiting for the Haha, Mr. Bond and you know, the, <laughs> the floor to drop out and you fall in the water with the sharks or what have you because it was so bizarre. Anyway, I'd get into work and uh, it, it would depend on what I was doing. Sometimes I did some model making, not clay modeling because they have clay modelers and you don't touch the clay. Yeah. You go in and you discuss things with them, but you're not doing any of the clay work. But I did some model make, making work on some of the... Um, some of the interiors, but generally you'd come in and you'd start drawing. And I would spend three and a half hours in the morning drawing, go for a half hour lunch, four and a half, five hours in the afternoon drawing, developing interiors. It depends on what we were doing. Sometimes I was doing work for the, um, the Ford Focus or the Fiesta. I did some Interestingly, I did some graphic work. They want me to uh, work on the the new um, lettering for the Ford Ka, K-A. Hmm. Um, so I was working on that. But the really challenging thing I found about working at Ford was that, and I think I've told you, you this, Zach, in class, that when you're in your eighth week, 
and you've been drawing cars eight hours a day yeah and then you get home and you draw more cars because you want to have ideas for tomorrow the last thing you want to do is to go into work and sit there and i don't know so i used to go home and do little sketches at home and try to come up with new ideas that i could use the next day um and that that became the real challenge was the um and i I discovered this too earlier in um industrial design and even in um even in advertising that you've got to be able to turn on your creativity you, right. you can't just come into work and say, hey, I'm not feeling it today. Yeah. I'll, sayonara, I'll see you guys later. Um, <clears throat> no, you've got, you've got to be able to, to switch it on. And that's something that's um, that working. I, I think that's, that really coalesced for me at Ford that, uh, that I had to be on all the time. I couldn't come in. There was no excuse to come in and not like do something revolutionary. And it's, outrageously challenging because yeah. as i say when you when you've drawn your 37th version of an interior you're just saying really well what am i going to put elephant ears on it how can i make yeah. this different <laughs> what it, you, it really becomes a a difficult thing to uh to keep advancing but you learn to do it right what was your biggest learning from working at Ford Motor Company? Because if I remember correctly, you didn't stay there very long. No, I didn't, sadly. Um, <laughs> this is interesting. Um, so I mentioned that I'd been divorced. I have uh, twin boys here in mm-hmm. Canada. And that was one of the really tough things about being in Germany. I really love Germany. And the beer is so good. so cheap it's probably just as well that i i didn't say i'd I'd probably weigh 80 pounds more i'd be wearing later um but but uh the beer in cologne was cheaper than coca-cola and it's so much better anyway anyway um but yeah so i was at uh i was at four for six months um and i was about to renew my contract and i got a an email from michael baldwin who used to uh, run the design foundation department. And he said, Mm. Bruce, uh, they're looking for somebody to uh, teach in industrial design. I thought you might be interested. Mm. And I saw this and I forgot all about it. (laughs) And one day, (laughs) one day I got into work and uh, I sat down at my desk and I don't know why, but I turned on my computer. I usually didn't check my emails in the morning, but turned on my computer and this was a Thursday morning. And I flipped over to my emails and for some reason, his email popped up and it was a week and a half, two weeks old and I'd forgotten all about it. And portfolios or applications were due on the Friday. Wow. So I thought, you know what? I should probably apply for this because as much as I would have liked to have stayed in Germany, um, I did have two kids here whom it was very difficult to see, obviously. Mm -hmm. So um, when the application for Humber came up, I made it. Um, I believe I had an interview on the something like the 13th or 14th of December. And I thought I was getting hired or being asked to work the following semester. So I figured I'd get another um, eight or nine months in at, uh, at Ford. 
<laughs> and when I got hired, they said, great, we'll see you in January. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hold on, <laughs> hold on. What? Um, so that was a bit of a problem. As luck would have it, um, I was about a week and a half from uh, in German law, not in German law, in German companies, you work as a freelancer. Because okay. once you're hired full time, you are very well looked after. So mm-hmm. I was actually not working for Ford Europe. I was working for a company called Bertrand, who mm-hmm. was handling me while I worked at Ford Europe. And so oh. I, I was um, going to be re-signing new contracts. The first four contracts, I think, were going to be six months. And then following that, they would be a year. And then after about eight years, then they start considering whether they're going to hire you as a quote-unquote Ford employee as opposed to a farmed-out employee. Um, And so I was just coming up to when I was going to be signing the next contract. So in in that manner, I was very lucky because I I wouldn't have, if I'd signed the contract, I wouldn't have backed out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that would have been um, unfair to Ford. And I, if look, if I sign something, it means something yeah. I, to me anyway. So it was quite fortunate for me, but it was, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was quite a shock because uh, I had to pull up stakes and um, bugger off in a matter of about two and a half weeks. Yeah, not a lot of time at all. Uh, no. No. Especially to go into a job where I guess you would not ne- you would never have had any prior experience teaching, would you? Yeah, I did. I did. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, when I was <clears throat> when I was freelancing, um, I taught at Sheridan College for about three years. Okay. I started out just teaching one class, and by the time I think two thousand four rolled rolled around, when I went away to. Uh, uh, to the RCA. By mm-hmm. that time, I was teaching, I think, about four classes. And then I'd picked up two at Humber. Um, so I was doing a, um, a good amount of part-time teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something that built up slowly. Right. And then- so, so I did I did have um, I did have some experience, and that was a good thing because otherwise it would have been just being dumped in the deep end. <laughs> yeah, just trying to keep your head above water and hope that hope that what you're saying makes sense and these kids somehow get something out of it. Exactly. So then what like you you've obviously you've been at Humber since then. Mhm. And what has that what's been your biggest learning through that those past say four, 13 14 years? That's an interesting one because and it's it's probably a more difficult one for me to answer than the others because in the in the case of all my former work um it's all been wrapped up mm-hmm. i finished with that bit and yeah. i'm able to look back at it and say well this is what i got out of this and you, you tend to view things um when you look back at them uh in a slightly different way it's harder to see what's going on right now. And even though I've been at Humber for 14, 15 years now, that 14, 15 years in some ways is all right now for me. Um, I think that probably, and this is going to sound horribly dry, but I think probably the thing (laughs) I've learned um, most at, uh, from working at Humber is that I have to be organized. Mm -hmm. 
And that's not something I was very good at. I, I was creative guy. Uh, the, the organization, this is for accountants. Yeah, um, it doesn't mean anything. But when you've got a class of 50 students coming in and they're expecting something for you, or, uh, sorry, from you, you can't just be shooting from the hip. Yeah. You've got to, You've got to have things organized. You've got to have stuff lined up. You've got to make sure that everything works to the um, to the documents that are provided to the students. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that really, and it does sound horribly dry, but I think the thing I've learned most from teaching at Humber is um, to improve my organizational skills such that my teaching uh, works for the students. Right. So it's, it's a different, it's a bit of a difficult mash of organization, Mm -hmm. uh, dry, horrible (laughs) organization (laughs) and, and planning and such, uh, with the, with creativity. But if you don't have the two of them, you're not going to be able to be an effective, uh, professor. I don't think. That's yeah. I mean, it makes sense because I remember starting school, I was probably the least organized person other than Zach, maybe on the planet. (laughs) And other than me, yeah. Other than you, but I think I think through the program we've learned the importance of organization as well. And you gotta stay on top of things and if you let stuff slide, there's consequences not just in terms of a grade value, but also in the benefit that you're getting out of these things, like especially with education. If you're slacking off or you're missing something, or if you're not on top of what you're doing and you're even a day or two behind you can easily fall by the wayside and you're just, you're just left for left for dust. I I think the other thing, if I was going to say one other thing about Humber that it's not something I've learned at Humber, but it's one of the things that I really like about teaching. I obviously like the social aspect. I like, I like talking. I get paid to talk. This is ridiculous. Um, (laughs) We're not, we're not paying you, but yeah, I I talk free. Come on. (laughs) But um, one of the things I really like about being in the educational environment is how stimulating it is. And that's something I didn't expect. I thought that in some ways I was concerned it was going to be a bit dry, it was going to be repetitious, but it really isn't. And what makes it interesting is not only the work, but the people that you're working with. And one of the things I've always found amazing is getting challenged by students. And when I say challenged by students, I don't necessarily mean, you're wrong, Mr. Thompson, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Not that anybody calls me Mr. Thompson, but (laughs) getting challenged by students in the sense that somebody does a sketch and I go, whoa, I got to go home and do some more sketching (laughs) because that is really good. And if this kid is this good, I better make sure that I'm better. So I'm, yeah. I'm always kind of trying to keep my work current and keep working, um, not as an industrial designer. I don't have the time to do that, obviously, but I do keep sketching and designing privately because if I don't, I think that I lose some of my value. In it. And it really is interesting to see the amount of creativity that's flowed through those doors over the past 15 right. years. It's astonishing. And I feel really, um, really lucky to, to be in that flow and to, to have been able to take part in that. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the subject of creativity and teaching, you were, 
you co-taught the Humber Industrial Design thesis class for yes. a long time, nine years. Nine years? I think it was nine years. Yeah, eight Something or nine like years. That. Yeah, some obscenely large number to yeah. teach such an obscure. And you've, at that point, you would have gone through probably maybe close to a thousand different thesis projects. Something like, if my math works out, <laughs> I'm an industrial designer. Math Ish. is not my strong around side. there. Somewhere. Ish enough. What's like what's what's involved in in a thesis project like that, especially for someone like we've obviously done it. We know what we've done, but there's a large population base that listens to this show who has never done a thesis project and who are maybe they're curious as to what's involved. And it's easy to say, oh, you're solving a problem with design. It's an easy thing to say. But with in regards to a thesis, I feel like there's there's it can get more granular and there's more there's more to it than you're just solving a problem. Absolutely. And I mean this is this is what we, uh, I've always tried to teach and I've not tried to teach it specifically but I've always believed that if you're not solving a problem when you're designing you're not really designing having said that it's very difficult to solve a problem mm-hmm. and quite often as I'm sure you guys are aware not all designs solve problems mm-hmm. so successful designs solve problems and that's what we're trying to do with the, with the thesis project um this is one of the things i really like about humber because the final year thesis project is a massive pain in the ass for the students it takes yeah. up an extraordinary amount of time it's extraordinarily hard work but it is the best way for students to get a feel for what it's really going to be like to work in industry because you're doing a design from concept to finish. And if you can do this, you are going to be... She's calling again. She's calling again. I'm sorry. It's okay. We'll cut it out. She's got you doing all the heavy lifting. Yes, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Can't throw your back out, Bruce. No. Okay, so let me let me go back to that idea. Um, okay, <clears throat> so the, the reason that thesis is so important, and I think that the reason one of the reasons that the Humber Industrial Design Program is really good, is that the thesis really does prepare students for the working environment. If you've completed and passed your thesis project in fourth year you are ready to go working because um, you've had to do everything in that design. It's not, everybody looks at the thesis. um, Sorry, if you're listening to this, I'm presuming that you know a little bit about industrial design and people tend to look at thesis projects and say, hey, nice model. (laughs) And and that tends to be the reality. Hey, that kid did a good model. And uh, I think that um, certainly when students come in and look at the program, they say, yeah, I'd like to be able to build something cool like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the interesting thing about that is, of course, that the model is just a small part of it. It's obviously, in terms of it being there and being a presentation, it's a huge part of it, but it's the work that goes into informing the design that makes that model worthwhile, that makes right. the um, the development of it and the building of it and the painting of it and the finishing of it, that makes that process 
uh, a worthwhile one. It's not, um, it's, it's a means to an end. Uh, and I think that people quite often miss that. So, but I, I really do think that the, um, it's, it's a very nice capstone achievement. It's a full year, it's two semesters, and you have to do a little bit of everything to be successful in this, as you guys are painfully aware. Painfully aware. Painfully aware. But, but the interesting thing is, again, talking about students, um, you guys are really hardworking, and it's it's nice. Almost all industrial design students are willing to put in the work. And I, in this new setting that we're working on or working in, I found that there's some students out there who are just I, – I look at what they're doing, and I'm just astonished. I, there's – it only occurred to me recently, <laughs> near the end of the semester, that a couple of the um, first-year students that I was teaching were in India. Really? And wow. so when I was teaching them a class that went from 1 till 3.30 or 1 till 4, they were doing this from 1 to 4 in the morning. Gee. Wow. Think about That's that. That's insane. And I thought, That's insane. <laughs> and yet... They never missed. They always came to class. They were involved, and I thought this is this is insane. I, I was just wow. I, it was it was strangely humbling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah somehow like the ultimate, no excuses. Yeah, and somehow Matthew Shun was always late to every studio class, and yet <laughs> halfway across the world, early hours of the morning. Well, that's always been, that's always been my argument is that if somebody's uh, coming into school from uh, Grimsby or Barry, they're always mm -hmm. on time. If somebody's coming from uh, from residence, they're always late. That's very <laughs> true. That's very true. So, I we we will wrap this up relatively soon because you got to help out your wife. But I'm, <laughs> I've got a couple questions, especially pertaining to master's education, because I know it's something that Zach and I are interested in pursuing at some point in the future of hopefully further developing our design careers and obviously not wanting to stay stagnant in any one particular job or one particular direction now going going to going and pursuing a master's say in industrial design or vehicle design or anything like that is is a is a big achievement and a but also a big commitment you know, even though it's two years, it's half the length of a, of a degree, there's still some, there's obviously a big financial thing as well. So I'm curious as to just your, in your experience doing, uh, doing a master's program, what advice would you have for prospective people, even people listening who may be also considering doing master's education? Um, well, you're right. It's a massive commitment. Um, and I'm going to be a little bit cynical here. I think that the schools charge far too much. Mm -hmm. And the, the cost of any education uh, is going up at too high a rate. Um, certainly, um, my understanding is that... Um, Universities in the United States are—it's going up eight percent a year. Tuition goes up eight percent every year, apparently. And I know that when I was at the RCA, um, the standard increase every year 
was about 800 pounds. Um, wow. So that in my, it's mine was a two-year course, of course. Um, and the first year I paid 18,400 pounds. And the second year I paid 19,200 pounds or something like that. Um, interestingly, it was cheaper the second year because the Canadian dollar was stronger, <laughs> which was very odd, but, but it is, it's a massive, massive commitment. Uh, it's not only a massive commitment of money, it's a massive commitment of time and energy because you really have to be very single-minded to get through a master's degree. You've got to really be wedded to your work if you're going to be able to make this work. Um, so that sounds really scary. Yeah, but, it's very intimidating. But in fact, um, it, it was also probably the most rewarding two years of my life. I met my wife, the one I'm going to have to go uh, help with the groceries shortly <laughs> <laughs> when I was in England. Um, and the experience of living in London, I've been to London before and like London, but it's very different to live somewhere than to visit. And mm -hmm. so just the, the fact that I was living in London um, was brilliant. And, uh, and again, going to the RCA was just fabulous. When I think of the people who have uh, walked through those doors. This is why I feel like an imposter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because uh, how'd they let me in? There's, there's a, um, I believe it was Oscar Wilde who said that he would never want to belong to a club that would accept him. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've got to say the RCA fell a little bit in my estimation when they allowed me in. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, it's 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 a huge task. It's a big ask. The money, the time, the effort, and yet it's probably going to be the most rewarding experience of your life. It's um, uh, one thing I I do suggest to students is if you do want to do a master's degree, take a couple of years off. Yeah, yeah. It's, Don't rush I, it. I, I do know people who have gone straight out of the school, and I've even heard. When I was at the RCA, they quite often said we'd prefer to have people who have a, a at least a gap year, mm -hmm. so that they've worked, they've got a bit of experience, so they're not just continuing their education. There's nothing wrong with that, but it is good to take a little break from school, uh, develop a little bit of helps to work to save up some money to uh, to get into yeah. these places, of course. Um, but <clears throat> the the universities rec recognize the importance of you taking some time off. And I think that um, anybody I've talked to who has gone through um, right after school, can you hear the barking? What's your dog's <laughs> name? What's your dog's name? My dog's name is Powder. <gasps> Aww, she's, a, she's a chocolate lab. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, re so regardless, anybody I've talked to who came into school came into their master's right out of school has said, you know, it was a bit too much. <clears throat> it would have been better to get a little experience first. The only trick is, and I've seen other people do this, they graduate, they get into school or they graduate, they get into a job, mm -hmm. they're getting paid well, and it becomes very difficult to go back to school because 
hey, things are going well, you've got a good job, you're making good money, you're advancing. And so it, it can be difficult to return. Right. But I, I do think that it's uh, a brilliant experience. Um, I, I really do suggest it. And I think that it, it does provide, I mean, it's hard to imagine that any school could provide better education than Humber. But um, no, it does, it does give you an extra edge. Um, I think that it, it's, um, education is, uh, the, what do they say? There's only two things you should spend money on. Only two mm-hmm. things you should go in debt for. And that is when you buy a home mm-hmm. and when you go to school. And there's a reason for that. Uh, going to school, whether it's Humber, whether it's the RCA, whether it's Art Center, whether it's OCAD, when you're going to school, you're making an investment in yourself. And I can. what better investment could you make? Right. I don't think you can. Realistically. Well, it depends on who you are. I was investing sure. for myself, so it wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have it different. Yeah, this is fortunately. Fortunately, we have it different. Hopefully. Now, you you appear to have had a fair amount of success over your career, but I'm curious as to how now, especially especially in a global pandemic, working as a professor, you had a taste of your your dream industry as a car designer, so to speak, is how how do you define success for yourself? That's a, that's actually a very difficult one. I mean, I'm going to answer it in a way that you probably don't like. Um, that's okay. <laughs> I, I really I really think that um, I measure my success based on whether I'm happy or not. If I'm happy, I'm successful. And I, the reason I say that is that I've, I've been, I've held down a lot of jobs. I've done a lot of freelance. Um, and sometimes those freelance jobs weren't fun. Sometimes they were brutal for various reasons. Um, everybody has nightmare stories about jobs that were difficult and tedious and uh, having to work with difficult people or what have you. Um, But some of those jobs paid very well indeed. Mm -hmm. And so generally people think, you know, if I'm getting paid X amount, I'm successful. Or if I'm, I've attained this position, I'm successful. Um, But I've been in places where I've I've attained positions like being an art director, but realized that I wasn't really fulfilled. I wasn't where I wanted to be. Or I've been making really great money, but getting up in the morning and thinking, oh, do I have to go back? Do I have (laughs) to go in today? And so I've decided that really the only way to be successful is to be happy. Right. Hmm. That if you're not happy, I don't think you're successful. So that's I'm I'm very lucky. I enjoy my job. There are tedious, like every job, there are tedious things, there are unpleasant things. But I feel very fortunate to have had well to have had the good fortune I did to be able to work at a place like Ford to be to have been able to work as a designer, and now to be able to work teaching design. Um, it makes me happy. 
Thus, I am successful. I think that's a totally accurate way to to sum yeah. it up. It doesn't need to. It's a complex question, but it doesn't necessarily require a complex answer. And as long as like as long as you're happy, then that it seems it makes sense. You know? Well, I have seen people who. There was an old in Mad Magazine when I was a kid. There was a, a a cartoon about this guy who said, "If I just have another five hundred dollars, I'd be great. If I just yeah. got five hundred bucks more a year, I'd be great." And it shows three years later. If I just made fifteen hundred more a year, I'd be happy. Yeah. If I just made and you people, I've seen people live like this. That if I could only get this, then I'd be happy. But when they get that, that position, that job, that car, whatever it is. It doesn't change their lives. It just sets them up for the next thing they need to get. Mm-hmm. So it's. I think it's really important to live in the moment as a designer. Um, I think it helps your creativity to live in the moment. But I think it also helps your creativity if you're happy, if you're relaxed and happy. You're gonna have. You're gonna be that much more likely to slip into a flow state and be able yeah. to really do stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, happiness is a. Uh, is key. And sometimes I'll tell you what, when I was at the RCA, it was difficult at times because I'm thinking I'm going broke. I'm all, <laughs> I've got all this debt. What if I don't get a job? And, and so you, you've got all of these things hanging over you and it, you, you kind of just have to slough them off and get to work and fall into the process. Mm-hmm. So I like, how you, I like how you said the process there. That was very nice. Yeah, <laughs> that was very nice. I was trying to wrap it up for you, mate. That was very nice. I will. We will wrap it up because we do want to let you go. But I want I want Zach to speak to something here in terms of the happiness thing because I think it's. I I hope anyways. It's been a big learning for you. But do you want to talk about your limited auto automotive design experience, Zach, and how My that very limited, very limited, yeah? Because I don't know if Bruce knows about. About your uh, your gainful employment. Oh with, my! Uh, I, this is, I guess this I is legally can talk about it, can I? He, oh yeah, he's, you absolutely can. He's looking uh, embarrassed and a little ashamed. <laughs> a little bit. No, I had found a because especially right now, like before Christmas, I had found a job. Well, help. Well, I was asked. I guess. I guess if I would be interested by one of another fellow auto student. Um. And it was, it was for a, um, obviously I didn't have any offers at the time. So it was like, you know, it's not like there's a lot of pick and choosing of, of jobs, but, and it was, it was, it was for a startup in Toronto and it was like, you know, work from home and everything. So I was like, okay, this is fine. And the money wasn't great because it was a startup, but the, the job essentially was, you know, working on a car design. Oh, cool. And so it was like, well, you know, if I can just get to say I worked, you know, designed a car, you know, whatever. But it was one of those things that even though I thought that would be, that's all I want doing it. I mean, there was circumstances that came to be that weren't really, you know, the, the whole um, experience wasn't that great anyways. So then if the experience wasn't great, then the money issue became more of a, you know, more of a larger issue. Right. But it was it was one of those things that like I definitely felt the whole imposter syndrome because I'm like, well, you know, I can kind of draw a car, <laughs> but designing a car <laughs> from scratch <laughs> is a totally different endeavor. No, and- I can assure you, you can draw cars. I remember, I remember your work. 
kind of, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and doing that where I was like, okay, I thought this would be the dream. And even though it wasn't exactly a car design position, I guess, but it was one of those things that I realized, well, maybe this isn't that I, what I thought it would be, or maybe I'm not ready for it yet. Or, you know, it's not, I didn't get that fulfillment that I thought I would. Um, just because it was designing what it was, which I well, thought I would, you know, absolutely love. It's it's interesting because, um, yeah, that happens. And yeah. I've got a great example of this. Um, you may f- figure out who I'm talking about, but one of our students graduated, um, went to Umeo for his uh, master's degree, um, got hired by, who was it first? I can't remember the first company he got hired to, but the second company he got hired to was Ferrari. Mm. He got hired as a designer for Ferrari. The now, dream. That's the dream. I mean, either that's most industrial designers. I'm not, I want to design for Ferrari or I want to design for Porsche or maybe Audi. But, mm-hmm. but those are the dream jobs, right? He was there for, I think, six months and didn't like it. Wow. Wow. Didn't like it. Didn't like the didn't like the way the work was done. Didn't feel that he fit into the process somehow. He just didn't find the work to be what he wanted it to be. So he was lucky to get another job in Austria at uh, Kiska and that he loved. So really interesting because uh, we all have expectations. It's interesting how when we quite often, when we get there, it isn't what you expected. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And that's, uh, that's probably just, that's part of the industry. You know, you have to, you have to experience those things to identify what you like and identify what you don't like, what does resonate and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. This is true. This is very true. Now we don't want to keep you any longer, Bruce, because you do have to go get the groceries. And uh, it's a, as long as you do it in a social distance way, and you make sure you keep away from any potential neighbors or any any people on the street, you got to stay safe. It's a very important thing. But we want to we want to thank you very much for spending the hour, almost an hour and a half, with us today. Um, well, I, I would like to thank you guys. Um, I think what you're doing is is brilliant. Um, I've got uh, some episodes to uh, catch up on. Yes, you do. <laughs> Obviously. Yes, you do. <laughs> no, I, I, I think what you guys are doing is is really worthwhile. Um, I hope that uh, my uh, my talk has been helpful for you guys and certainly helpful for anybody who listens to it. I find it difficult to believe that it will be, but hopefully <laughs> miracles happen. It, it will uh, be. But but I really do appreciate the work that you guys are putting in. This is uh, – is pretty uh, selfless of you, and I hope you guys keep it up. Oh, we will appreciate Guaranteed. that. Guaranteed, yeah. We that that means a lot, especially coming from you. So we're gonna we're gonna take that to heart. <laughs> okay. If if there's if anyone who listens to this episode wants to connect with you, um, where where can they do that? Um, probably the easiest way is to send me an email. Hmm. My email is very easy to remember. It's Bruce Thompson at Humber ca and as both zach and dylan will remember thompson is spelled no p no p. p so you're, you're a dry thompson t 
T-H-O-M-S-O-N. So yeah, if anybody has questions about the department, about industrial design, about anything regarding what we've talked about here, um, yeah, feel free to send me an email to bruce.thompson at humber.ca. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me. I'm not going to give out my personal phone numbers. No, absolutely not. (laughs) I must say I was ecstatic when you phoned me earlier. I saw the number show up and I said, there's only one person that that can be. Oh, curses. There's there's only one person. I do indeed. I do indeed. It's a powerful thing to have. I won't abuse it. Don't worry. You can trust me. Um, All my my auto guys have the number too. (laughs) Oh, that's true. That's true. I was never, I was an honorary auto member. I'd like to think. Um, (laughs) Part-time auto and if anyone wants to send an email to the podcast themselves, they can send an email to hi.theprocesspodcast at gmail.com. Zach Watson, what is our Instagram? Process underscore underscore podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been the centennial episode of The Process Podcast, episode 100 with Bruce Thompson. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. And if you want to share it, share it online, tag the Instagram, the process underscore underscore podcast. And we'll see you in the next one. Have a good one. Peace. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bruce. The process.